Your financial mission, should you choose to accept it, is to achieve financial clarity. New Intel suggests that bad financial actors are constantly filling the landscape with misinformation and other barriers and obstacles, leaving you with limited time to make the right choices for a successful financial future. To make things easier, we've chosen your team for you. Financial Commander Janine Theus will help lead you to success. As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. Well, it's time for part two of our conversation on financially savvy grandparenting here on Your Financial Mission. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Janine Theus. She's the CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors. We're talking about what it looks like to be a financially savvy grandparent, how you can help pass wisdom on to the next generation so that your grandchildren can grow into financially savvy adults. And if you didn't hear part one of this series, if you're just now jumping into part two, I don't know. I guess this isn't really like the movies, Janine, where you're like, oh, you have to have heard part one to appreciate the sequel. You can probably just jump into this one and go along with it. But if you want to hear all seven tips in the order that we've given them, pause this, go back to part one, listen to that one, and then jump in and join us here on part two, because we do give some of the setup for why we're having this conversation in part one. Uh, But in case you haven't, you're not going to go back and listen to part one. Here was the quick recap. First three tips on how to be a financially savvy grandparent. One, don't underestimate the power of the Roth IRA. Those additional years of tax-free growth can be extremely powerful. Number two, understand how to help with college savings and that 529 plans are just one possibility. There are other options and more flexible things out there for you to help with planning for college savings. So be sure to investigate those. And number three was find creative ways to help kids have an appreciation for saving and investing. And that sets up our fourth piece of advice. And by the way, this advice for creating financially savvy grandkids, we're age-wise for the grandkids. I mean, this can begin really from birth all the way up until, I mean, I'm in my 30s now, and I'm still learning things from my grandparents when it comes to finances and money. So no matter where maybe your grandkids fall in that spectrum, or even if they're not even born yet, you can pull some good clues here, depending on where you are on that spectrum. So Janine, tip number four here, understand that it's a different world today from the one that you grew up in. How does that impact us trying to be financially savvy grandparents? Well, it is a lot tougher today. I, um, just because of circumstances, went to school. I stayed home my first two years of college and went to school at a local university and worked. So I worked 25 hours of work study and was in school full time. And then when I transferred to another university, because my dad retired from the military, um, then I didn't work. I competed um, in sports and I worked part time and in the summer. So it's a different world today because the cost of tuition is exorbitant. The I believe it's the median tuition for public school is about $20,000 a year, $20 to $25,000 a year, and that's in-state tuition, room and board. And for a private college, it's $50,000 a year. So most kids can work part-time and probably should, but it's not as realistic for them to go it alone without some help. So either you're co-signing on loans, they're taking loans, there is work, 
or there's the, you know, you, you would have saved in some vehicle for college to help them. But there's just a much higher demand in terms of financial demand because college costs are completely off the charts and they're increasing, which is unbelievable. I believe I heard Notre Dame is now $75,000 a year. And yeah. I don't know how people... <laughs> Oh, I, I took my uh, I took my two little cousins who are just kind of getting now into the high school age range, but they're starting to think about college. And they were visiting this summer, and uh, we took them for college tours at University of North Carolina and also Duke. And mm-hmm. in the Duke presentation, the the amount was getting up there close to eighty thousand a year. It's unbelievable. Our jaws were on the floor when we heard that. (laughs) Well, and, and, you know, so you really do have to have a conversation with your kids that is realistic about what their career is going to be out of college. You cannot graduate college with $300,000 of debt and go into teaching. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Just, you know, unless, I mean, I do have a client who paid for their daughter to go, I, I want to say Rutgers, I can't remember exactly, but you know, it's $65,000 a year and she's going to become a teacher. In order to get into teaching these days, they want that graduate degree. So there's more money on top of that. And now you're going to be starting out at $35,000 a year. Years ago, I had a, a gentleman come in whose son, he had <laughs> leveraged his life and mortgage to pay for flight school for this kid starting at 16. Hmm. So, and then he sent him to Emory. And at the time, Emory was a, in uh, aeronautical engineering because you could you could be a pilot, et cetera. But it was very, very expensive then. And he had leveraged his retirement into this kid. Wow. Then the, the guy went into the Marine Corps as a Marine Corps officer into flight school. And I said, do you realize <laughs> you wasted all this money? I shouldn't say waste, but you've taken on all this debt. Some of it was transferred to the, to the young man. And this was probably, wow, 10 years ago. And as a a second lieutenant in the Marine, his base pay was about $35,000 a year. And he had $130,000 of debt. So I, you know, I'm I'm saying to the dad, you're going to have to help him with this until he starts getting bonus pay and gets more senior and gets flight pay and all this other stuff. Yikes. To pay these loans. So there's a huge disconnect in what people are expecting from kids coming out of colleges and don't. If you're teaching at a college, your kid should be going to that college. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and I, I realize every, everybody is giving their kids way too much leeway in the decision-making process at 18 and 19 and not really taking a look at the numbers and what the outcome is going to be considering the career. So, yes, as our generation starts to pass on or is passing on values and work ethic and et cetera, you know, there are tons of stories out there about the millennials and their work ethic. So a lot of people have not done a good job yeah. <laughs> of, of um, passing on work ethic. So that's really important because we do live in a different world today. But the expectation for having work ethic and, and values, et cetera, is still there. Well, so those are, you know, those are things that have to be developed unexpected. It's like everything else in life, right? I mean, there's there's a certain balance that you need to achieve. Too far to one extreme or the other ends up causing issues in most phases of life. So strike some balance. There's there's the one end of this spectrum that's what you're touching on, right? Of 
you know, don't just pay everything for the kids. Okay, you can go to the $80,000 school and I'll mortgage my future and, and boom, you're off to the races and, the, you know, grandparents will just cover everything for you and you kind of develop this sort of, you know, the, the, the hand-me-out mentality. You don't want right. to develop that. At the same time, you don't want to go too far on the other end of the spectrum either of this. And my folks actually were closer to this end of the spectrum. I won't say they were all the way there, but they were kind of like, look, we didn't save money for you to go to college. If you want to go, you're going to have to figure it out <laughs> and 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 do it on your own. It's just how you're going to have to do it. So I had to kind of take that information into account. Now, they were always there to help with a lot of the, like room and, you know, a little bit of the room and board and with some food stuff. And I mean, they, they contributed, they helped, but there was no formal plan. So, but some people will go that entire other direction and be like, look, well, I worked my way through college, so you can get a job and work your way through school and, and be just fine. And that's... That's where there's another difference between the previous generations. While that may have worked in the past, well, if you're sending a kid to, you know, go be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it may be, you know, those are pretty rigorous demands academically. And do you really want someone to be, you know, bussing tables while they really should be studying for midterms and finals and trying to make their way through through school. So there's probably some balance there. I had a major where my life experience, my job experience was more important. Well, I won't say more important, but was just as important, if not more, than the actual classroom experience. Study, you know, going into radio and journalism and and these kinds of things. I worked five part-time jobs and, and freelance jobs at one time. We always had this joke in in our household where I'd come home from school and to visit, and I'd kind of be like, "How many jobs you guys got? I got five right now. You know, <laughs> how many paychecks <laughs> how are you getting you all at once?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we always exactly. said, "How many how many jobs you got?" <laughs> it's sort of our inside uh, inside <laughs> joke. But you know, my kind of personal experience was a mix. It was sort of this balance where I had little assistance from my grandparents. Mom and dad chipped in here and there. I had uh, definitely some loan money, uh, a little bit of grant money, and then I paid for a lot of school with scholarships, and I won uh, some journalism awards during school where that money I used to prepay some of those loans and some of that tuition money as well. So nothing became a huge burden. I graduated with just a little bit of a loan balance, and in the first year, I nailed it all and got rid of it. And so one year out of school, I I had no debt because I just, that was my mission was, that was my financial mission. Hey, the name of the show was to, but it was a good balance of all those different little things helping contribute to that experience through college, which I found valuable. And and I think it makes a lot of sense when you're kind of having that college conversation. Well, and absolutely. And so your experience, because it was a struggle was actually a good experience because even though it might've been painful at times and you might feel overwhelmed, you learned a lot from having to manage that. Right. And I think a lot of our generation has forgotten that struggle is important. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we can help, but we should not be doing it all. Right. And we should not be compromising because we have a shorter time horizon. We should not be compromising our retirement so that kids can go to school without any skin in the game. Yep. I, Back it, to that. Although I'm happy for the uh, for the struggle, I'm really appreciative of the assistance that I got from those scholarships and from my grandparents and from my parents yes. through the experience. So that's right. why I think that balance is really important. You build a, an appreciation for multiple things. And that's right. And that comes from, you know, in our next tip is gift money with purpose. If you're going to gift money for college, you've got to start that conversation very early. So you don't just give money 
like your your story with your nani, you know, giving you stock. You don't give money just for the sake of it. Yeah. You know, try to earmark it, educate the kids. You know, here's $100 for college, it's going into this account. Or here's, we will give you X amount of dollars toward a first car if this happens. You know, there has to be some expectation. And some people will go, well, you're bribing. Well, okay, it works. <laughs> because <laughs> if that's what you have to get kids to understand, then you you play a little bit on that edge. But, you know, as often as you can, you got to earmark so that you're encouraging kids to learn about how this works and save for a longer period, which is basically delayed gratification, Yeah. you know, instead of just spending the money, like it doesn't have any value. There's no value to it. So I can't encourage enough for people to talk about money. And it's not because here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether you make 20000 or 200000 or $2 million a year. Everybody wants to stick an extra zero on the end. Because everybody thinks they, they need about 10% more. If you, There are all kinds of studies out there that say, you know, I need more money. But the money is not who you are. I mean, no, that's just my philosophy. Yeah. Money is not who you are. It's what you have to do what you need to do. It's a, it's a tool, to right? Yeah, money exactly. is. It's right. It's a tool. So if you teach kids it's a tool, then they're not going to have some of the money demon issues yeah. that, you know, sometimes I'll see with, with how people feel and react to money. Now, obviously, you don't want to downplay the importance of money. So you've got to be careful how you talk about things because money is important. You can't pretend it's not important. I mean, my dad used to say, I don't have to worry about those things because I don't have any money. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why we all only have one pair of shoes. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, back in the day. But you've, you've got to instill early on that handling money is in a smart and generous way is an important aspect of life. Because if you're going to be charitably inclined or just generous, a generous person, you have to view money a little bit differently than, you know, I've got all this money and I'm holding it close. Yeah. And maybe it's a mix of these, of that, you know, element as well. Back to your gift with a purpose example. If, if it's, okay, maybe you don't have to earmark everything. So maybe, sure, sometimes you just want to give a gift card or whatever it may be, go for it. But every once in a while, yeah, you can earmark something, show that it has that, has a purpose attached to it. Maybe that's how you can kind of toe that line a little bit of, uh, the line is very blurry from encouragement and providing direction, and then you cross the threshold over to bribery. You know, it's... It's somewhere in the middle there. It's just a blurred line. So you can kind of toe that a little bit. And the, and the gifts you give to kids are an indicator of what you yourself value. Oh, I like that. that. Say that again. That was good. Okay. The gift you give is an indicator of what you yourself value. So every Christmas, and it, it's a joke in our household, every Christmas, the kids, each kid got a book. <laughs> That was one of their gift items was even though, you know, we'd get books throughout the year, but the, everybody got a, a specific book because, you know, we'd kind of pay attention to where's your interest. And then we would get them a book. And so reading was obviously the message was reading is important. Hmm. Being a really good reader is important. So the fact that I give cookies to everyone is probably a bad <laughs> sign, huh? <laughs> What what does that say about me? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends on how often. But, you know, or puzzles or things that are problem solving or games or things like that, you know, rather than, I mean, I this is kind of hitting on some family members, my sisters-in-law, my nieces would get all this makeup for Christmas. And I would just look at them and go, okay, now I know it's important to 
<laughs> and I'm not saying makeup's not important, but I'm thinking in the big scheme of things, is it? <laughs> yeah. What are we trying to say here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, a balance, right? So give right. that with a little bit of dose of uh, you know financial advice to your 11-year-old, and we're all in good yeah. shape. <laughs> So one, one last tip then. So the, the couple we've covered today, understand it's a different world today than the one you grew up in. And, and you know, so, so find the right balance of, you know, how you're helping with things like college costs. Gift money with a purpose in all ages. There's different ways you can do that. Don't downplay the importance of money. That one, again, is sort of how are you portraying yourself in conversations with your children and grandchildren. And in that same vein, our final tip, Janine, would be understand how kids and especially the teenage frame of mind here, how they might perceive your complaints about the economy and the stock market. I think this one's really important, particularly because of the political and financial environment that we're in today. Absolutely. And I think people forget or do not realize that the things they say are heard by ears that are always listening. And children are masters of body language. We kind of train it out of them over time. But children pick up nuance and they remember things or have a perception about things that you and I would just forget over time that this, this comment was even made. But it's really, it's really important to understand that the things you say and the way you respond to certain circumstances have a real impact on children and teenagers because they don't have the experience and the knowledge you have. They haven't lived long enough. And that's the fact. So, you know, if you're constantly harping on messages of fear, you know, so-and-so is going to do this or the market's going to crash or, oh my God, it's Armageddon, you know, they're reacting to the fear without understanding the underlying components of your fear. So you have to realize that you have to be careful about how you act around the younger generation. And I'm not saying you should hide things. I'm saying have an open conversation. Mm. <laughs> and then to the extent that you can have debates, you know, differences of opinion, great. But pay attention to the fact that your opinions are being perceived differently by teenagers. Yeah. And so, especially on investing in the markets and just politics, there is a lot of the media has a great interest in generating fear, fear sells. And so if you think about that, it's always about bad news. <laughs> I mean, it's rare that you see good news in the in the media anywhere. Right. They just save it for the very end. The kicker story is uh, that's yes, where they exactly. the good news. Yeah. So with your kids and your grandkids, you've got to talk to them about that. One of my daughters, I have a funny story. Years ago, in fact, my daughter just told reminded me about this recently. She said, "You know, you used to sit with us and watch watch commercials, and then you'd say, what are they selling?'" And so we'd have a conversation about what they were really selling. Mm-hmm. And how they were do how the languaging was getting people to tilt a certain way or think a certain way, and so my kids became pretty good at they have pretty good BS filters. <laughs> Let's put it that way, <laughs> because we would have those conversations. Yeah, and I think when it comes to money, when it comes to the media, when it comes to you know the markets, you've just got to be a little more circumspect about how you are reacting in front of them. Because they are not picking up the same signals you are. They're picking up signals from you. And that colors their view. So kids do pay attention. They may not act like they do, but they do pay attention. Yeah. 
<laughs> and all, all of these tips, I think, that we've covered on this podcast and in part one are just very good for encouraging that conversation, that debate, however fierce you want it to be. If you want to have that conversation, and, and I think that the kind of, you know, not to get too sappy here, but if you can create good conversations with your grandkids about money, if you use that as the entry point and you can create a little bit of a conversation and a relationship on a topic like this, that can broaden out and probably help the overall relationship in lots of different ways. And they're going to be open to talking to you with lots of other things about life. And I think it'll just enrich the relationship that you have with your grandparents if you master this type of conversation. It's going to carry over into lots of other phases of life. I think that's so in, in, pretty cool. It, it, absolutely. And I think what's really important is this used to happen all the time before the television took over, before when we had close-knit communities, you know, for good or for bad. But it used to happen where there was an exchange between generations of life learning. And now a lot of people do outsource that learning. And that is not to the best interest of the child mm -hmm. in general. You have to make sure your actions back up your words and that the proper messages are being conveyed. Yeah. I like that uh, mentality there, outsourcing learning. Let's try and minimize that a little bit. That's great. Very, very helpful. Well, really good content, really enjoyable conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed those seven tips on financially savvy grandparenting. Again, if you uh, this is the first podcast you're listening to, go back to last week's and you can hear part one of financially savvy grandparenting, some good conversations and stories in that one as well. As always, I'll encourage you to reach out to Janine Theus if you have questions about your financial plan, about your financial situation, or you want to share some stories with us about how you've been a financially savvy grandparent or maybe how you were impacted by a financially savvy adult in the past. We'd be happy to share those stories maybe on a future podcast and, and get your feedback. 443-718-6311 is the number to call and talk with Janine and her team at Theus Wealth Advisors. That's 443-718-6311. Or you can always find us online at theuswealthadvisors.com. Again, that's theuswealthadvisors.com. Enjoyable conversation, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time on Your Financial Mission. Your Financial Mission.